Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Let me tell you this. One of the greatest principles of prayer is focus. Because as a law in the spirit, the law of change is this. What you are trying to get must be most important. It's a law. It says, he is a rewarder of those who what? Listen, there is a diligence in seeking. That's what a lot of people forget. There is a diligence. So it is part of the preoccupation of a prayerful person to make sure when I pray, what I'm focused on must be top of my mind. That's how prayer works. That's why it says, the heartfelt continued prayer of a righteous man avails much. Meaning, what makes prayer work is not just your prayer point and your articulation. It is the fervency of your desire. You, it must matter to you. It must consume your emotions. Because as a law of the spirit, anything that does not touch you, you cannot change. If it does not touch you, you can't touch it. It's a law of spiritual impact. It must impact you first. The desire. It says, you shall seek me and find me after that you have sought me with the whole of your heart. One of the greatest strategies of the devil in this age that has not been properly discerned is social media. And it's not because it is addictive. It's not just that. Now, it is so hard to focus. You don't know what that does to your spirituality. Because you can't, if things are so fickle in your mind, hold on to a thought for long. You won't cause changes in the realm of the spirits. So what camp meetings like this do is to realign our sense of priority. Let me tell you this. In heaven, the Bible tells us that there are 24 elders. And all they exist for is to focus on the throne of God and cry, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. There is no time in heaven, no time or day. Yet, they are not tired. You, when you want to pray, you make out time to pray. You see the difference? You make out time to pray. But these people, they are very essence. They are not, they're not looking at the clock that, okay, I'm going to do this for 10 minutes. I'm going to do what the devil has done. Is to lie to you that other things are more important. You see that? And it's not enough to say, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do better. You have to have a strategy to break that cycle in your life. And you break that cycle in your life through what is called special seasons of devotion. When you have the opportunity to pray long, you are resetting your mentality of time. Your mentality of priority. Because when you start praying, 
tell me if this is true or not. When you start praying, all the things that you should have been doing, you will remember. Have you noticed? All the things that you ought to be doing. And so one of the first things that long praying does is to bring a calm to your mind. So you are praying and things are flashing through your mind. What you saw on TV is flashing through your mind. You must run through the distraction and hold on to what you want. And focus on it with such an intensity that can allow it to change you. It's the law of change throughout the Bible. You can be like Hannah going to Shiloh every, every year. But there was a particular year that she was consumed by her desire. Ah. The priest saw her and thought she was drunk. She looked different. Something different about her. A fervent desire. Ah. When the priest said, what is this? How can you be drunk at this time? He said, no, I'm not drunk. I just poured out my heart to the Lord. <laughs> Pour it out to the Lord. That's how Jesus prayed. When Jesus prayed, his capillaries gave way. The Lord started coming out. Are you listening to me? The medical condition describes a severe type of stress that impacts on your blood vessels. The blood vessels give way. When all your stress, you invest it in prayer, you can then come out with confidence. The same Jesus that went into the prayer room saying, my heart is exceeding sort of living up to death. I feel so burdened it's as if I'm about to die. The same Jesus was so composed after praying. The soldiers came, no fighting, no Hallelujah. Now that's how to win in life. Are you listening to what I'm saying? I didn't plan to share with you what I'm sharing, but it, someone needs it. So I want you to understand. Let me tell you this. A man who knows how to focus for 20 minutes will get much more from praying than a man who prays three hours. And I'm not saying this so that you can start praying short. I'm now saying how much more? Just imagine one hour, two hours, three hours, and your mind is on nothing else. The fact that the Bible says when you pray in an unknown tongue, your understanding is unfruitful, does not mean your focus should be on nothing. It doesn't mean your mind should be wandering. There is a laser focus impact. You hit the same place repeatedly. That's, that's how you cause change. There must be a dent. Are you getting what I'm saying? And focus will affect your posture. When you are focused, your posture will show. That's why the people in the Bible prayed in weird ways. There is no law on posture. Nobody says you must kneel. Nobody says... In fact, the principle of closing the eye is not in the Bible. People hardly close their eye to pray in the Bible at all. 
So why do we close our eyes many times? For focus, whatever will help you focus, you do it. If like Elias, you want to put your head between your knees, do it. But we need that focus. To contemplate repeatedly. The Bible says, as we behold as in the beholding is important. As we behold as in a glass, the image of God, we are what? The focus is important. The contemplation is important. And sometimes you will need time, especially if you have not done it in a while. As you start praying like this, your mind will start wandering. You might even close your eyes. That's when you will discover that there is LED screen behind your eyelids. Have you closed your eyes and are watching TV before? The last images you saw on the TV, you are seeing it. But you pray through that. You push aside the distractions. <laughs> From the beginning of the Bible to the end, this is the secret of men who cause changes. That you keep an angel you keep an angel trapped through the night. I will not let you go. <laughs> Until. Listen. There has to be that determination. You don't consider options. It must happen. Are you getting what I'm saying? It must the devil can recognize that kind of tenacity. There are some people, before the devil tries them, he thinks twice. Because some people don't know how to accept no. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? In the place of prayer, some people don't, they don't understand no. It's not in their dictionary. When you have this type of focus and tenacity, you'll be brave. You won't care that people are looking at you. If you are still bothered about what people are saying, you are not yet sold out into what you, sold into what you want to achieve. Eh? So, Paul and Silas are in prison. You can imagine what the other prisoners are saying. Are these church people? All these church people. Look at them now. But this says, they prayed and the prisoners heard them. It's very important that the Bible gave you that detail. The prisoners heard. <laughs> See, never be shy or ashamed to demonstrate your faith. Let people hear it. Make bold utterances. Don't apologize for believing in the supernatural, for believing in a miracle, for expecting a miracle. They prayed, the prisoners heard. All right, I want to share something very important with you. Because no matter how blessed you are by the healings and the testimonies, 
if you don't receive information, what you have will not be sustainable. Turn to Bibles, Romans chapter 12 from verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Um, there are key phrases I want to carve out of this. First, it should stand out to you that Paul says, I beseech you. So we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about the mercies of God. The mercies of God. What does he mean by that? And then we're going to talk about reasonable service and then living sacrifice. First, I want to just touch on the mercies of God. Because it's a continuation from what we talked about yesterday we talked about what christ has done for us his redemptive work his death his burial his resurrection and how that affects us in salvation the security that that gives us it says whosoever shall call upon the name of the lord shall be saved he also says whosoever shall call upon the name of the lord shall not be ashamed it's an assurance. It's called assurance of salvation. But you need to learn the biblical response to assurance of salvation. Does it make us mediocre in our Christian walk? Does it make us lascivious in our Christian walk? No, it doesn't. So one of the best teachings in the entire scripture. So Paul has this masterpiece of Bible theology called the book of Romans. And from chapter 1, he begins to demystify the concept of the grace of God. He addresses those who seemingly did not know the law of God. The Gentiles. You were not given the law of God. You were never given any tablet of stone. So is that excuse for you to sin? No, he said, because the invisible things of God before the foundation of the world are clearly seen in the things that he has made so that no man is without excuse. So he says the intelligence in the design of the earth is enough witness that there is an intelligent designer. Just the same way um, I didn't see them building this building. I wasn't here when it was being constructed. I don't even know the owner of the building personally. Your resident pastor might. But I know someone built it. Because it's a law in nature. Nothing intelligent and organized happens on its own. The only way your room will be swept is if you sweep it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So Paul says, in the things that God has made, the intelligence of the design, you know there is an intelligent designer. So no one had to give you a law for you to know there is a God out there to whom you must be accountable. So he makes sure to explain theologically that even though you had no law, you are still inexcusable if you did not honor God in your heart. And then he, he addresses in chapter 2, the Jews, you who had a law, 
Did you do it? You who say to others, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Do you do it? And then in chapter 3, he, he says, it is concluded that we are all under sin. He says, for all have sinned, verse 23, come short of the glory of God. And then he says, being justified, meaning both Jews and Gentiles need to be justified by the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is how he's building his theological framework. Goes on in chapter 4 to explain what does Abraham, our father, have to say about this. Talked about how that he was already declared righteous before the circumcision. That was a strong message to the Jews. Comes to chapter 5, which we talked about yesterday. We have access into this grace wherein we stand. Rejoice in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He builds that theological framework consistently. And then in chapter 12, he says, in view of the mercies of God, the mercies previously established, I did a great job teaching you the grace message. In view of this, this is how you should respond. He said, I beseech you. Every African child knows what it means to beseech or to be beseeched. Because as tough as your parent is, you know, there is an African adage that says, you flog your child with the right hand and you draw him close with the what? You know, because sometimes after your parents are blown hot, they now call you and they begin to say things like, you see, it's for your own good. Have you experienced something like that before? It's for your own good. So when Paul says, I beseech you, I am making this appeal, this solemn appeal, it just reflects the seriousness of what he's saying. What he's saying must be very important for him to beseech. And not just Paul. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, as though God does beseech you by us. Is it verse 20 or thereabouts? We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Beseech you by us, yeah, verse 20. So, Paul is beseeching, God is beseeching you by us. So there is that solemn call that every believer has. A passionate, gentle plea. Paul tells Philemon, he says, even though in Christ I have the authority to command you, yet I beseech you. So there is that provision in teaching sometimes just so that people can realize how much you care about them and how important what you're trying to emphasize is. So you don't use a harsh tone or an upbeat tone even though there are examples of preachings like that. In John 7, 37, the Bible says on that, the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried with a loud voice. So there is a provision for that type of preaching. But sometimes... You tell people, let's reason together. Listen, I, I want us to have a heart to heart. This is important. I beseech you by the mercies of God. What does he say? That you present your bodies.
The grace message doesn't make us careless on how we handle our bodies. Did you hear what I said? He said, I beseech you by the mercies of God. So the mercy of God makes us even more particular about our body. He says to present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. He says, which is your reasonable service. So we just want to go step by step and, you know, to do like a brief commentary on this. And then you see all that God has in store for us this morning. By the way, the, the text I quoted in Philemon is Philemon 1, 8 and 9. He says, I might be bold in Christ to command you, and that is fitting, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. What is reasonable service? The concept of reasonable service just suggests to you that everyone has a preference of how things should be done. Listen, for instance, we all have preferences when it comes to food choices. And every good restaurant knows that. That there are some people who don't like too much pepper. There are some people who don't like too much salt. And then there are some people who will say, so in some restaurants, when you say, I want burger, they will ask you with cheese or without cheese. Because not everybody likes it. Some are fit farm and others are not. Are you listening to what I'm saying? So, the same way you have to understand in your service of the Lord, that is not business as usual. The idea that everything goes is wrong. Not everything goes. There is service and there is reasonable service. There is a type of service that God expects. There is a way to pray. And guess what? It is not about your temperament. That, oh, I'm sanguine, so I like to pray loud. Mm -mm. How does the Bible say we should pray? Oh, I'm melancholy, so I don't really pray loud. Mm -mm. What does the Bible say about prayer? There is a way to preach. I just told you now, the Bible says in John 7, 37, Jesus stood and cried with a loud voice. So you don't say there is Pentecostal preaching and then there is Orthodox preaching. You preach like souls at stake. The Bible says they observed Jesus preaching. He preached like someone who had authority, not like the scribes. So the goal is to be biblical, to find out what God has said about this. How did Jesus pray? He fell to the ground. His emotions were vested in what he was doing. He fell to the ground. And he prayed. Do you know why Jesus' prayers were recorded? In John 17, you see Jesus' prayer because he prayed out. If it was some of you, they wouldn't, they wouldn't know what you said because they're always whispering. And there is a provision for that. But there's also a time to pray out. When you stand before a mountain, you don't whisper. When you stand before Lazarus' tomb, you don't whisper. The Bible says he cried, Lazarus! You are not wiser than Jesus. 
So you learn to pray the Bible way if you want Bible results. There is something called reasonable service. And what is reasonable service? He tells you what it is. He says, for you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Oh, Paul was such a good preacher. And maybe you don't realize how fascinating it is for Paul to say reasonable sacrifice, but I, for living sacrifice, but it is fascinating. He's being poetic. In fact, when you read verse 2, he says, be not conformed to this world, but be it transformed. That's where aspire to require started. <laughs> He's rhyming. Be not conformed, but be transformed. <laughs> wow. Such a good preacher. He just, he just knew how to spice things up a little. Paul used sports to preach, to teach theology. He says, don't you know that many run a race, but one receives the prize? Paul's sermons were not boring. <laughs> yes. Living sacrifice. There's a, there's a figure of speech for that. It's called an oxymoron. When you put two opposites, two words that mean opposite things side by side. What do you mean living sacrifice? Sacrifices are always dead. You are not getting me. Sacrifices are always dead. He's talking to people who knew Judaic practices. How you get a lamb, slaughter it, and put it on an altar. Now you're telling them, okay, in Christ you don't need that. But he says, now, in devotion, you are the sacrifice. So he's telling you there is a way to serve God. You serve God as though you were living dead. This is a sermon on consecration. This is the way to live your life. This is the way to serve the Lord. Dead to your old ways. Alive to Christ, you see. And when a lot of people talk about living dead, they think of it in the con context of sanctification only. And they are not wrong. For instance, when many people are interpreting 2 Corinthians 5.17, they think he's talking about putting off the sinful nature. If any man be in Christ, is a new creature. Old things are passed away. When they think of old things, they, used to, they think of the things I used to do before, I do them no more. And you're not exactly wrong. But he says, pay attention. If any man be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Don't assume you know what old things are. He didn't say sinful nature. He says, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. That means sinful nature is still involved in what he's saying. And giving us a ministry of reconciliation. So listen, he's not just talking about sanctification, he's talking about ministry. Pay attention. So now, what are the things that have become new? You have a ministry. You can't live your life the way you used to. You just wake up in the morning. Ah, my friends are going to Canada. I want to go. You've not stopped to ask God. What do you want me to do? Now, 
Now you're a soldier. In case no one has told you, you were bought with a price. You are someone's property. It's just like in a marriage. You know, before a woman just wakes up and says, uh, I applied online. I got admission, I'm going. A woman with kids. A husband and children. You have to have that conversation. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now, your life belongs to the Lord. Open that text. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, all things are of God in verse 18. Who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. Ah. Do you know how important this is? He's telling you that you are as responsible, as sold out to the plan of God as Jesus was. Because he said, God was in Christ. Look at verse 19. God was in Christ reconciling. So what was Christ's ministry? Reconciliation. Providing reconciliation. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and had committed unto us the word, the message of reconciliation. So you and Christ have the same ministry. In Christ was the provision of reconciliation. In you is the announcement. So it is the same assignment at a different phase. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Now God is in you, announcing reconciliation. You are as responsible to the plan of God as Jesus was. So the same way Jesus, his mentality of his ministry on the earth was lower, come to do your will, O God. That's your confession also. You are sold out to the plan of God as Jesus was. Jesus, every waking moment, his priority was, what will God have me do? That's your priority also. Look at the next verse. It says, now then. So you see, 2 Corinthians 5.17 was not actually really talking about sin, primarily. It was talking about ministry. He says, now then, we are what? So this is your ministry on the earth. <laughs> In case you have been praying, Lord, reveal my purpose. I just revealed it now. Never again say you don't know. You are an ambassador for Christ. You know what he says? As though God did beseech you by us. Meaning everywhere you find yourself, that's God's opportunity to reach the people around you. You have become an envoy. You have become a courier of the presence of God. So like Jesus who sat by the well and told that woman, if you knew the gift of God and who is talking to you, you must consider yourself the gift of God to the people around you. God's opportunity to reach those around you. The mission of Christ must prosper on your account. So listen, if you look at your life and you cannot tell how you are contributing to the advancement of the kingdom, you are not fulfilling purpose. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how well you think things are going. 
when it was time to enter the university, maybe some of your friends waited two years, three years, they wrote jam. But you just entered. You finished with a good grade. You got a good job. You got married. That's good. But you don't major on the minors. <laughs> Hallelujah. Years ago, I defined purpose this way. I said purpose is that one thing for which you were created and that which you must succeed. Otherwise, nothing else you succeed at will count. I'll take it again. Purpose is that one thing. Can you say that one thing? Purpose is that one thing for which you were created and that which you must succeed. Otherwise, nothing else you succeed at will count. For example, Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What? He said, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Get your priorities right. In all you're getting, get the most important things. Position your life in a way that will be relevant to God's advancements. The fame of his name, the propagation of his message. Don't you dare look at me or any other person and say, ah, this man of God is trying. Mm -mm. My life is supposed to reflect to you what your life is meant to be. And that's not to say you are supposed to plant a church. But you know what? You're supposed to preach the gospel. You don't need a church to do so. You don't. You don't. Please, are you paying attention? So at some point, you, you, have, to, you have to ask yourself honest questions. Gone are the days when people thought purpose is their career. When people are praying many times, God, reveal my purpose. They expect something like, oh, you're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a lawyer. And make no mistake, that's not to say God cannot desire for you to be a doctor or any such thing. I call those things assignments. They are within the confines of purpose. They are vehicles for purpose. They are not purpose. They are just the vehicles of purpose. Let me tell you this. Anything that is your purpose must count where God is. You don't understand. See, the concept of purpose presupposes the existence of a creator to whom you must be accountable. I'll take that again. The concept of purpose presupposes the existence of a creator to whom you must be accountable. Purpose always pre-exists the creation. So if God had a purpose for you before you were born, it means God's concept of purpose or your concept of purpose must be relevant where God is. When you see God, whatever will not come up in the conversation cannot be your purpose. And let me tell you categorically, it might not really matter as much what job you did on the earth 
career-wise when you see God. And that's why it cannot be your purpose to be a doctor. Even though being a doctor can be a vehicle for the fulfillment of purpose. Do you understand what I'm saying? Also, your purpose is not unique. Your purpose is not unique. If it is unique, it's not purpose. Let me tell you this. There are different types of phones. There are phones that can only make call, which is perfectly fine. And I advise you these days, everyone must have a phone like that. Sometimes you need to put your smartphone away. There are phones that can do multiple things. So some phones have ATM, microwave, hair dryer, dishwasher, washing machine. Some have shopping mall. But guess what? If it cannot make calls, it is not a phone. No matter what else it can do. Don't forget the definition of purpose. That one thing for which you were created and at which you must succeed. Otherwise, nothing else you succeed at will count. So it will be silly for someone to see you with your phone and say, ah, what's this? Say it's a phone. What does it do? Ah, ah. You know, what's the purpose? What's... There is one key purpose of everything called a phone, and that's to call. Hallelujah. So what is that one thing for which you were created, at which you must succeed? Otherwise, nothing else you succeed at will count. Let me tell you this. God doesn't want any human being poor. That's for sure. He doesn't want any single human being poor. But wealth is not that one thing for which you were created and at which you must succeed. It is not. Don't forget the story that Jesus gave about the rich man and Lazarus. One was so prominent in the world, the other was nobody. Literally surviving off the crumbs of the rich man's table. But guess what? Even from this story, you know that levels had changed because we were never told the rich man's name. It was not relevant anymore. There was nothing more to him than the fact that he had money. You know, there are many people like that. Nothing more to you. So it is possible for a poor man to have more relevance in the sight of God and in eternity than a rich man. Even though you don't have to choose. Abraham had both. Do you understand the balance of all that I'm saying? But I'm just talking about the most important thing. That one thing. There is a trademark of Celebration Church. And since your pastor called this an apostolic visit, I can as well indoctrinate you into the ideology that God has given us as a ministry. There, listen, there is no idle member of our church. 
by design. You can't be a member of this church and not be active in evangelism. Active. You have to be on fire. You have to be on fire. There's something called reasonable service. You don't serve God the way you like. You say, ah, I don't, I just like to come to church. Nobody knows me. I worship. I take my notes. I give my offerings. Go. It's not about you. It's not about you. The moment he reconciled you, he gave you a ministry of reconciliation. Ah. Did you hear what I said? Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. There, are, there is something called adjectives in English. They used to qualify nouns. So if someone out there says, just comes and says, I'm looking for a boy in there. Ah, what do you mean? <laughs> You're going to need more description. Okay, I'm looking for someone who's above six foot. Okay, oh, just disqualify your pastor immediately. You know, you <laughs> won't disqualify me. I'm close. I'm close. But pastor I cannot be pastor. Okay. <laughs> you know, and so the set becomes smaller. I love you. You know. <laughs> then you say, okay. He's wearing a blue shirt. And then the set becomes smaller. Okay. He has a face cap on. When it comes to Christian service, there is a specificity to it. You have to understand. Look at that John 7.37 I kept reading to you. Put it up. Let's read something. Hallelujah. It says, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried with a loud voice. Or cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. Verse 38. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You know, by the way, there was, there was a teaching that was, you know, making some rounds some, some time ago. You might have heard it, you might not have heard it. And some people were trying to be semantical about this to say that the belly that was being spoken of was Christ's belly. That because he's our source, so living water comes from him. And it sounds nice. But even from the understanding of the metaphors, the flow of thoughts, you are thirsty, you drink, and you, you, not only are you satisfied, you are overflowing. And this is John chapter 7. Just a few chapters before, in John chapter 4, Jesus said to that woman at the well, he says, anybody who drinks the water that I shall, I shall give, it shall, it shall be a well in him, springing to everlasting life. So the same metaphor was used. Is that clear? I just wanted to put that out of the way. He says, he that believed on me, as the scripture had said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. <laughs> Do you know what that means? He didn't say, they that believe in me and drink shall be filled. That's not what he said. 
He says, out of you shall flow. So the moment you, you came thirsty, and then he has made a dispenser out of you. The person who was thirsty has now become a diffuser. That's the idea he's giving you. So the moment you believe, he makes a ministry out of you. Go preach the gospel. Anyone who believes and is baptized shall be saved. This sign shall follow them that believe. Immediately, you, be, you have signs for ministry. That's the order. You believe, you are saved. There are signs so that you can do ministry. There is almost no middle ground. No waiting point. So, like that woman at the well, the moment she knew she had seen the Messiah, she became a preacher. The same moment. So, in case nobody told you, there is a reason he saved you. And it's not just for you to say, oh, thank you, Father. Thank you for saving me. Thank you, my Lord. I have nothing to give you. Stop lying. <laughs> Don't say you have nothing to give you. He said, present your body. Present your body. You have something to give. He wants you to give your life. Bind yourself like a gift. Put it on the altar. Devote your entire essence, your money, your mind, your time, your energy, your intelligence, your pursuits to his cause. That's how to live. So when you're in a city like this, you start praying, God, you now you're interested in the spread of the gospel. You're interested in the statistics. Okay, where did our parents reach with the propagation of the gospel as a generation how do we take this further how do we take this further you are watching the trends because you are particular about you know what are they saying what what is what is popular the word of god must grow in popularity on my accounts that's how to think Think in gospel terms. Just the same way you desire better for yourself. You dream about having that dream car. Which is okay. You dream about having a good venue. Which is okay. You must also dream about the gospel. The reason you are here is because we dreamt about you. That's why. Hallelujah. We dreamt about you. You are here on the account of the sacrifice and prayers of others. Literally. So let that be a challenge to you. This ministry that you celebrate today, I hope you know it is led by a human being. So like any other person, after school, I would have said, ah, so I will now start carrying Bible when my mates, you, you know. <laughs> or you think I had no choice. Do I sound like a dollar to you? <laughs> Hallelujah. It took sacrifice. My mom spoke to people to come and talk to me. 
And they said all kinds of things. And of course, my mom has changed. The, the truth is, my mom recognized the call of my life and always supported me. But she just had those moments of vacillation where she like, she, are you sure? Don't come and be a burden to us. And she, you know, there was one day she called one relative who was saying interesting things. And he said, you know, just last week, some pastors came to my sitting room. They sat in my sitting room and they were asking for money. And I was telling them, why should I give you money? I now look myself that, did I ask you for money? I said, which currency finish with this? <laughs> I said, God, you see you. Me, ask you for money. Uh, uh. You know, the funny thing about following God's plan for your life is you now realize all the things you wanted to do for yourself, they are small. <laughs> they are small. They are so small. What would you rather be doing than follow God? Ah, oh, that's cute. That's cute. It's small. It's small. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter what you read in school. Let me tell you something. If you study the Bible well, you will discover a radical shift in the caliber of people that God used. When Jesus was born, the religious leaders were the elites. And God was bent on using the foolish things to confound the wise. So when Jesus was born, first and foremost, by God's design. You think God could not have made Jesus to be born to a rich family? He chose a carpenter to prove a point. You are not getting what I'm saying. Make sure he was born in a manger to prove a point. When it was time to choose disciples, he chose fishermen. He chose low people. Men who were not educated to prove a point. He uses the foolish thing to confound the wise. That's what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 1. When it says, you behold your calling. Not many wise, not many noble are called. Meaning you don't have to be rich to be called. You don't have to be from a great family to have a call. So we have those examples in the Bible. After that, the point had been proven. In the New Testament... There was a switch. So he says to preach the gospel in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, the utmost part of the world. Look at the people that God used. Look at the person who was supposed to take the gospel to Samaria. Look at the Ethiopian eunuch. He was a treasurer. He had icon. <laughs> Listen, you have to understand these qualifications in modern day terms. That's what I'm telling you. Treasurer of the Queen of Candice. It was not that as financial literate as you can be at that time. Now, you see a wealthy man in his chariot reading the scriptures. Did you hear what I said? Make up your mind. Make up your mind. Don't let anybody sell some satanic narratives to you that when you have some money, you can start behaving somehow. Listen, I've seen very wealthy men. Ay, God. I remember, I'm not easily impressed though. But you know, 
There are some houses you enter, you are careful how you sit down so you won't spoil the pumping machine. That you, you just feel everything is connected. <laughs> uh, my parents are not real frats. I'm, I'm exposed. But there are some houses. There was this house I went to. The house, the house is three stories. Uh, I think four stories. So they have a lift. Inside, the, from the parlor, there's lift to the bedrooms. <laughs> you know, wealthy family. They have chefs, they have everything, you know, and then, so the, their business is around, so they have many cleaners and all of that. I'm talking... When I mean billions, I don't mean you just shook your head. I, you, you balance there. <laughs> As I opened the door, the man's daughter was sweeping. Did you hear what I said? Sweeping. And as I entered, I said, good morning, sir. <laughs> say, wow. The children cook. You don't understand. Let me give you more context. They have a hotel a massive hotel just in the same compound but none of the cleaners are permitted to clean their house the children must clean the house then you see someone small change will not hear what <laughs> what is wrong with you have you seen people small blow they'll start squinting their eye they will see you, you know I, you know you that you know, they will start pretending, I don't know you. Where are you from? Squinty. Open your eyes, John. What's wrong with you? You know me. You know me. <laughs> Listen, you can be very, you know what, you know what Solomon called it? He called it durable riches and righteousness. They can go hand in hand. Listen, you can be very wealthy and have Christian children. You can be very wealthy and still be humble. You can be very wealthy. You know, there was a wealthy woman, you know, I, I also got to meet. We had a meeting, she was late. So she came in a nice car. See, I told her I'm not easily impressed. She just sat down, oh, I'm sorry. Um, we had evangelism. So she parked her car, she trekked, she was sharing tracts. Very wealthy. She packed her Lexus 550. Massive ride. Moved away. Sharing tracks. What is what? Are, are you getting what I'm saying? So in Acts 8, the Bible tells us this accountant was reading the Bible. And he was interested. He wanted to know. He wanted to understand it. His interest pulled the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God had to teleport Philip. See, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come and teach this man. This is a hungry man. Have you noticed that divine encounters were not exactly accidental? It was interest that, let me tell you this. The Samaritan woman, when people talk about the Samaritan woman, what comes to your mind is, ah, she had five husbands. Let me tell you one important detail that people miss. Isn't it fascinating that the moment she discovered she was talking to a prophet, she had Bible questions for him. She had been wondering, 
She had Bible questions. That was someone who was looking for God. So he said, I have a theological question. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. You Jews say, Jerusalem is the place to worship. Where is the place to worship? Jesus gave his response. And I said, anyway, when the Messiah comes, this Messiah that had been telling people, I'm here, I'm here, they did not. This woman is waiting for the Messiah. Are you getting what I'm saying? So if you study how encounters happened, you will discover that it was a keen interest that dragged God to people. I'm telling you. Philip said, do you understand what I'm reading? He was rich but humble. He said, how can I accept someone teaches me? Some of you pretend like you know it all. This wealthy man said, I, I don't know. You know, when it comes to accounting, I'm very, very good. But Bible, I don't know. Don't, pre don't pretend. Peter was a fisherman. But he knew God. And Cornelius, a very wealthy man in the army, he had servants. He sent servants to bring Peter, don't forget. As soon as Peter entered the house, he laid prostrate. Peter had to tell her, ah, no, 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 sir, don't, don't lie down. This is, this is a man with servants. In the presence of his servants, oh, a military general who is used to people saluting him, a fisherman came in. I'm talking, listen. Are you getting what I'm saying? So, this wealthy man was hungry, hungry for God. You know, I heard someone say something fascinating years ago that lines up very much with what I'm saying. Think about the fact that the person who wrote the book of Luke, the book of Acts, was a medical doctor. Medical doctor. He was a doctor. He made out time to research about the accounts of the resurrection. And he took time to write. Listen, from where he was writing, he said, it was only fitting that I write the Ophilos. Since I have perfect understanding. Listen, you can be a trained professional and have perfect understanding of the word of God. Thank God for your degree. There is something else to know. It doesn't matter. If you're from a poor home, you have good examples. If you're from a rich home, you have good examples. No excuse. You are without excuse. You are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. A cloud. A cloud of witnesses. You know, are you noticing what God is doing? You know, to shame some people. Who's small blow in music industry? They cannot talk, call the name of Jesus. Now, when you see Justin Bieber putting it on his social media. Have you noticed people are more open now? Yeah. They are now putting Jesus, you know, in their... We don't want. Yeah. The time has passed. You don't... <laughs> you, because of Nollywood, you are shy of Jesus. You are shy. Hallelujah. 
I came to make you bold by the Spirit of God. Did you hear what I said? God wants to make an army out of you. Make no mistake. It is not difficult to evangelize the world. Though. It is not difficult. You only need committed people. See, it's the, it's, the, it's the mentality of Gideon that we need. You don't need... God doesn't need... He doesn't need many people. For the Gideon army, he needed 300. For the disciples, he needed 11. Do you know what it means to tell 11 people, go ye into all the world? How many people did he tell? It only takes 11 people on fire. <laughs> The fact that the gospel reached us means they did a good job. Eleven people, all the world. All the world. Now, there is a mentality to have. You are a fisherman, you have never traveled in your life, but the gospel will make you dream. Because God said all the world. So now I must picture all the world. I must picture messages translated in different languages. That's the mentality to have. If he said all the world, I must now become a dreamer. I must dream for a selfless cause. God knows how to sell his dreams. So he calls Abraham in the cool of the night. He said, look at the stars. Start counting. He's planting an image in his mind. He said, that's the number of children that I'm going to give you. That's the image. So you have to anticipate a great impact. A kind of impact that must not be denied. For that to happen, you must have a firm understanding of your purpose. And then the second thing that must happen is you must catch fire. You must catch fire. Let me analyze something to you. How many of you have ever tried to cook something and normal cooking methods were not available? Maybe you didn't have gas, you didn't have a burner, or you tried to use something. Have you ever tried to use iron to toast bread before? Thank you for your honesty. Let me tell you something. So, you have gas cooker. And then you have firewood. Have you, have you used firewood to cook before? Gas cooker is faster, isn't it? And it is less stressful. So you have firewood. Now, imagine trying to use candle. To boil rice or beans. <laughs> you want to use candle to, to boil beans. You know what that tells you? It tells you that even in the world of cooking, it takes fire, but it doesn't just take fire. <laughs> Listen, there is a level of intensity that is needed to get the job done. 
So, so candle will say I'm fire. Gas cooker will say I'm fire. But they are different. They are different. Evangelism, for evangelism to be effective. <laughs> if you catch fire. Remember the day I met a stranger, I wanted to preach to her. I said, how are you? She said, fine. I said, so how was your dad's birthday? I said, how do you know my dad's birthday is today? I said, sit down, let me preach to you. <laughs> I said, now you know why I'm here. Nice way to preach. I mean, how you, how you sound? You know, a friend of mine, someone was telling him, all these miracles are fake. All these miracles are fake. People just guess, they just say, you know. And I said, so, will I be guessing if I tell you I know your mom is in the hospital now? <laughs> it sure can. <laughs> the mood changed. The fellow started crying. He said, don't worry. Go and call her and tell her she's healed. It makes the work. You know, I mean, catch fire today. Catch fire. Let there be something that marks you different, sets you aside. Hallelujah. So that you can reach the world for Jesus. It's part of reasonable service. There is, there is an intensity that is needed. Look at Romans chapter 12 verse 11 as, as I begin to round off. Romans chapter 12 verse 11. Hallelujah. Read it together loud as you can, one to go. Read it again, one to go. It says, not slothful in business. Don't be slothful in the business of Christian devotion. He said, be fervent. He's using heat terms, heat terminologies, heat metaphors to describe your devotion. Don't just be a church goer, be on fire. You must carry heat. You must emit something. Do you understand what I'm saying? There must be something about you. Hallelujah. There must be something about you. I told the story three weeks ago, thereabout. I was on a flight from Abuja. And honestly, I had not done anything extraordinary apart from the fact that I just said a few words of prayer as I was, I sensed that there was someone to pray for, so just, and I wasn't loud I, was, I just muttered some words and then the atmosphere changed, I'm talking about in the plane and I started hearing sobs so I looked at the lady by my side and she was crying and she looked at me in the eyes. She said, I, I feel something. I feel something. 
<laughs> in my mind, I say Holy Ghost for a year. You want to start on here? <laughs> she said, I feel something. She said, Who are you? I said, um, I'm a child of God. I pastor a church. She said, There's something about you. She said, Don't look at me. Don't look at me. On the plane, we're three on the road. The third guy was wondering. <laughs> you know, and her knees were buckling, and her, you know, and she was crying. She cried from Abuja to Lagos. She, I think she's from Ivory Coast or something. She came for a conference. She said, "Where is your church? Oh, I'm going to come to Nigeria again just to visit your church." Oh, give me your YouTube link. Give me, hallelujah. You know, and I remember what I was thinking. Walking out down from that plane, I said, Holy Ghost, this is real. I, I know, I know, I've always known. I've always known it's real, but you know, like, it, it, it works. It works. What if you became conscious of the influence of the spirit in your life. What if we're all like that? What kind of impact would we have? How far would we go? What are we going to be able to do? Because don't forget, he says, out of your belly, out of your belly, out. He's, he, listen, he wants you to be a dispenser. A dispenser just because you were there. There's something unique about you. You know, the pastor of our Portacot church, you know, we're students in school together. So one day we were praying and the Lord spoke to me clearly. So I was telling him what the Lord was saying. He said, stretch out your hand. This was the first time I learned these things before I heard any charismatic preacher teach it. Stretch out your hands. Say, my hands carry power. I said, my hands carry power. So he stretched out his hand too. He was saying after me, as the Lord was dictating to us, my hands carry power. I say, say anywhere I go, anywhere I go, power is discernible. Anyone I, anywhere one I touch, feels the power of God. What I have is contagious. What I have is obvious. We're just saying those things. We're in one bush somewhere, <laughs> praying, and then we're done. We're walking up the stairs. And as I was walking up the stairs, there was a lady coming down. I said, how are you doing? I said, hi. And gave her a high five. Bam. And she fell on the staircase. This was, in pub this was not a church service. This was important. Everybody turned. Ah. If God calls you a priest, it means something. It means, just like a priest, that you represent God to the people and you represent the people to God. Do you understand what I said? So, that makes you a courier of divine presence. It takes a lot of devotion. And being honest with you, let me tell you something. As someone who is a royal priesthood, you can't spend the way other people spend. You know, most times when I receive money, the Lord will just start telling me, okay, this, give this person. Give this person. <laughs> Sometimes I will just share the thing. 
Eh? And most times, people, someone called me crying. Said, did God tell you I needed money? I said, yes. She said, oh my God. She was just crying. She said, I just prayed now. I said, God, I'm tired. You know, if you would just give me a miracle. It was 10 minutes after the Lord said, send her money. Hallelujah. And you trust God. He will give you back. <laughs> Do you believe what I just said? Your time, your money, your energy. You start dreaming for the gospel. Now, there is a church here that God has put in this city on assignment. How are you going to help? How are you going to help? I told you. People made this possible. Are you going to make it possible for others? How many churches will your own church plant? Money is one of the biggest ways to show honor for the Lord. Because money is a symbol of your energy because you worked for it. So when you give money, you are giving your life. Because you worked for it. It's so powerful. That's why you said you can't serve God and mammon. Money is so powerful it can take the place of God in your life. One of the highest ways to show devotion to God is by having a structure of sacrificial giving. Let me tell you this. Every year, you must give sacrificially for your heart to remain healthy. Did you hear what I said? If you don't give, listen, money is like a wild dog that must be tamed. You must tame it. And then your prayer life. The Lord spoke to me as an undergraduate. He said, because that morning I woke up, I wasn't feeling like praying. He said, if you don't follow as you should, he said, people will suffer. I can give example upon example. And if you decide today to be on fire for Jesus, oh, your family will benefit, your friends will benefit, strangers will benefit. They will just be blessed because of you. Let me tell you something. There is nothing more fulfilling than that. Nothing. Stand to your feet, please. Let me tell you one of the strongest signs of apostleship. Thank God for miracles and all of that. But one of the strongest signs of apostleship, faster than usual, you just raise disciples. I mean, look around you. This church is how many months old? Four months old. It's a sign. And you just see young believers growing 
solid. Because part of the science of apostleship is the ability to replicate graces in others. So I want you to know, for every one of you who will open your heart to the Lord honestly and say, Lord, you gave me your life. Now I want to give you mine in consecration and in devotion. Everyone who will say that, you will remember today for many years. Because your life is about to change. Say with me. Dear Jesus, say Holy Spirit of the living God, today I devote my life to your cause. I embrace the ministry of reconciliation. Reveal yourself through me. Make me an envoy of your presence. A courier of your power. Say in my school, in my office, at home, everywhere I find myself. I will recognize myself as an ambassador there. Say and I thank you that there are attendant signs following Stretch out your hand, say, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all I can ask or think according to the power that works in me. Oh, say, I recognize that there is power at work in me. I recognize that I'm not ordinary. I recognize that if I lay these hands on the sick, they will recover. I recognize that I can expel demons. I recognize that I'm not ordinary. I recognize that I carry fire. Say from today, these signs follow me. In this city and everywhere I find myself. Say the fire of the Lord has set me apart. Say the anointing of the Lord has set me apart. Set me apart for impact. Set me apart to be a blessing to my world. Oh, say I do the impossible. I see the invisible. Say my ears are hearing ears. Say my eyes are seeing eyes. Say I communicate with angels. Hey, say, I put fire on my altar. Say, no more mediocrity. I catch fire now. I'm on fire now. Hey, man, tarabakaya, shataya. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, Reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.